welcome to Back from the Abyss. I'm Dr. Craig Heacock. This is the third of an intermittent series of stories about therapists in the abyss. Today, my friend and colleague, Dr. Elena Estenol, shares her, as she calls it, her fourth dark night of the soul. After her very painful struggles through three brutal and unexpected life challenges, Elena thought she was done, that the crises were surely past, that she'd finally gained the wisdom, the positive momentum, and acceptance to handle anything life could throw her way. And then came the fourth. I have long been fascinated with how people heal. When is psychological healing primarily a solo inward journey? And when is it best catalyzed by interpersonal connections? After all, relationships are human growth machines. Yet the ending of relationships can feel like some kind of unbearable, drawn-out death. So what's the best healing path for a broken heart and spirit? Through her story, Elena and I explore the roles of both interpersonal and intrapersonal healing, the power of owning and crafting our personal narratives, and moving toward the difficult but ultimately necessary realization that the hardest stuff in life tends to hit us unexpectedly, like some kind of existential avalanche. I was at a really good place in my life, you know? I, I felt um, excited. I feel like, I felt like I had gone through like three, maybe more massive challenges, um, both personally and um, in my relationship and professionally. And, you know, I kind of finally felt like I was good, right? Like when you just kind of feel like, oh, I'm getting to the top. And I was feeling super excited. Um, I felt like we had, um, I had a really stable relationship. Um, My husband and I had been married for 17 years. Um, We had formed this beautiful integrative wellness center. I had two other businesses, a coaching practice. Things were going really well. And I was so excited to be writing a book um, about intuition. Like I had written a few other books before, but they had been collaborations. And so this was like, this is going to be my own book. So I was so excited about the prospect and just, you know, beginning to figure out how to carve time and all of this stuff. And then all of a sudden, my life fell apart. What's interesting is that the book that I was beginning to write was all about intuition and tuning into your intuition and, um, and really how doing that can really save your life. And interestingly, about a week before this happened, I started having some major anxiety. And I was having like major anxiety in my body and I couldn't figure out why. And usually when this happens, it's my body telling me something's up, like something's about to happen. Mm-hmm. But it, it usually happens quicker, right? So I might have some anxiety um, 15 minutes before a session, right? And then when my client comes in, it's like, uh, explosion, right? And then I'm like, okay, I knew. Um, but this was odd because it was a whole week. I was just anxious and it's unusual for me to be feeling that. And then about a week later, you know, uh, my husband sat me down and he said, I'm feeling really unhappy. And I... I'm feeling very confused, and I think that I might want to go back to North Dakota, and I think that I may want to have a family 
after all, you know, which of course had been a conversation that we had had many, many times, you know, people are like, didn't you talk about this? Of course we talked about it, <laughs> you know, it's a conversation we had had many, many times. And so um, it, 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 it's, it's fascinating because, you know, in that moment, it just, all of a sudden I understood why I was so anxious and it was like, oh. So of course at that moment, you know, it totally felt like I was at the peak and then all of a sudden the rug was pulled from under me and felt like everything that was stable was not. I always think of the biggest, hardest, most challenging life stuff just comes out of nowhere. Agreed. Agreed. I don't think that I ever expected the others. And, you know, as we were talking off air a little bit, how we worry so much about all these things that we think might happen, it's usually never those things. Mm -hmm. You know, the wipeouts usually come out of left field where mm -hmm. you're not looking or paying attention, which to me, it, to me, that's our permission to then just be happy and then just enjoy and let go of the worry and the anxiety because if something's going to wipe you out, it's going to be something else. So you might as well just appreciate when things are good because mm -hmm. you don't know when things are not going to be. Yeah, but it seems like this is a this is a special kind of wipeout because it's it's a person. Personal. It's per you know, we are. I mean, we are social connected beings and. And when the person, your person, your life partner, your husband says, we're done. I mean, that's, that's a dark night like few others. Huge. And actually, you know, I, I mentioned, you know, that I had been working on writing another book. And of course, you know, what I did is write a book about my experience through this process. And um, I write a chapter on belonging and why this was so painful and so meaningful to me. It's because um, being a Mexican-American and being an immigrant and my family not being here, I had never really had a sense of belonging, right? So mm -hmm. this was my person. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden, I was losing that. Mm -hmm. That's more, more than a husband. This totally. Is, yeah, this is your connection to America. Totally. Yeah. Totally. Which has been interesting even afterwards, right? Like, of you know, going to the doctor and it's like, who's your emergency contact? And I'm like, um, I don't know. Mm. You know, I've had to ask friends, hey, would you be willing to be my emergency contact for this or that? Right? Because I think that for most of us, in some ways, we have our families and our families are here. You know, and my family was supportive, but my family is in Mexico mm. and Austria and, you know, like, <laughs> All over the world. Yeah. So, um, so this was different and big in that way. Mm. Because all of a sudden, it, it put me back into this place of, I don't really belong. Yeah. Like alone in a whole different way. Mm There is a particular sense of confidence and strength and resilience that you get from having gone through the fire and surviving it, you know. 
it's interesting because it's been the theme of my life. Even my dissertation was about resilience. And so it's something that I am very uniquely familiar, not just, you know, intellectually, but experientially. Mm-hmm. And so I had had a divorce before. And one of the things that I learned from that experience was that if there were, if there was too much uh, difference. So I'm somebody that's very growth oriented and always educating myself and growing and growing. And so I felt like in that first relationship, I grew too much and then the distance became too big. And so in some ways, you know, we always try to take those lessons into the next relationship, right? And so I had sort of ensured that we were growing together. So we had done like all of this personal and professional development together and we were learning all of these concepts and theories together, right? And um, and incidentally, you know, he said to me, um, I wouldn't be able to be making this decision right now if it wasn't for you and if we hadn't done all of the work that we had done because I wouldn't have the confidence in myself to be able to take Mm. this huge leap of faith. Mm. And so he said something to me that was really powerful and it took me a little bit to actually get on board in believing it, which I do now. And he said, I believe that it is the completion, um, the successful completion of a spiritual contract. And it's time for us to go our separate ways. So the completion for him was the divorce. Yeah. There's so much to untangle. How do you untangle 17 years of building a life and a business together, right? Like we were not just life partners but we worked together we had clients and comment i mean so it was sort of this slow process i needed to keep my shit together mm-hmm. for my clients and everybody yeah, else i was wondering how do you go to work yeah i mean how do you sit hold space and and provide the wisdom and caring and and just connection that your clients need when you're just torn up inside so raw yeah. yeah and so i um the very first friend of mine that i shared was very kind and receptive and said well you can't say you can't you can't really share this with people and so i basically tried to hold it together for the first month and that was probably the worst you mean not share it with clients, clients. Uh, yeah not share it with clients and I, that was probably the worst month. And eventually I recognized that that's just not how I work. I am so genuine and I teach from my life and my life experience and my stories. And, and I just felt like I couldn't really be real. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I had a conversation with him and I said, we need to tell our clients and we need to tell people. And so, um, so we started telling we started sitting down with each one of our clients and telling them and having conversations. And that was a huge relief because yeah. then it allowed me to just, you know, mm-hmm. just excel and just be real. Yeah. Um, Which is what you're, you want your people to do. <laughs> right. <laughs> Don't put on a happy face and pretend that your heart isn't ripped apart. Yeah. 
And, and that was actually so great because all of my clients were amazing. You know, I think I only, I only cried with one client. <laughs> I pretty much was able to like, you know, hold it together. And it was just one client because it, there was something about like people and people usually would ask me, you know, how are you doing? And, you know, and so it was really sweet because I felt they caring for my clients without really allowing them to caretake for me. You know, I was like, I'm doing what I need to do. And I'm, you know, I have the support that I need. And, but there was one, you know, and I don't know if it was the timing or whatever, like how they asked. And I just like, you know, kind of teared up and I was like, I'm so sorry. <laughs> you know, and they were so, so understanding and mm. so great, you know? So that was a huge, huge relief. Sharing with my couples was the most anxiety producing when I started sharing with clients because all of a sudden I had all this doubt about what's going to happen. You know, are they just going to fire me on the spot? You know, I, uh, are they going to trust me? I had a whole conversation with a good friend of mine and I was really worried about also ethically, should I even keep working with them like I said even ethical for me to keep working with couples when I am going through this process and I'm freaking out you know I'm falling apart and I really loved her response it was so beautiful because she said to me she said Elena you're a master therapist I am not even worried a little bit about your skill I know that you will continue to do the work that you need to do and you'll do it brilliantly I'm more worried about you and whether you continuing to work with them, it's going to be more painful as you are going through this process. And so I felt like there's a lot, like there's a whole other layer of processing for me and even trying to decide about, you know, when to share, how to share and whether I was choosing to continue to work with them or not work with them or, you know, that kind of thing. And having all of this doubt and shame about, you know, like here I am supporting them in maintaining and building good relationships and my relationship is, you know, gone down the right drain, you know. So, yeah, so there's so much complexity when it came to that place and I was pleasantly surprised by all of my couples pretty much were like so empathetic towards me they never really questioned they never really mm -hmm. questioned me and I also was able to be very real with them you know I had a session with a couple that came in one day that was like just being awful at each other and I did something that I probably wouldn't have done before you know that I was like so much more passionate, <laughs> let's put it that way, <laughs> about intervening, mm. you know, and I said to them, you know, if you actually want to be together and form, you know, and maintain your relationship, you need to stop doing this. And, you know, and I was able to share really genuinely about like, and I can tell you, like going through this process, it's it's not an easy process and it's painful. And so you really need to think twice, you know, and, 
and we had a really great relationship and we're going through this process pretty, you know, we're, we're still good friends. We're talking through. Um, so you really need to be thinking about what it is that you are saying and how you are treating this person that you have chosen as your life partner. And they were both a little bit like shocked. You know? <laughs> <laughs> is this the same psychologist? Yeah, it was a little bit more Did practical. Did get body snatched? <laughs> um, you know, it was a little bit like a, you know, mm. emotional shakedown. But I felt like I actually became a lot more passionate and a lot more committed to helping couples look at their patterns and work through those things and learn to communicate better because I could share the pain. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you were the driver's safety instructor who crashed the car off the highway. Totally. <laughs> telling kids, don't die. Totally. Don't die. Don't and, don't drive off the road. <laughs> and that was totally unexpected, right? Like that was not what I was <laughs> But but that's exactly what happened. Mm. Yeah. But it was really when he left that I felt that huge, like I really felt like my floor bottomed out because of all the things that he took care of were very, like he grocery shopped, he cooked, he, like he did a lot of things that took care of me in a way that were very practical that I wasn't used to. And then all of a sudden I'm faced with, I need to figure out how to grocery shop and cook and still keep my business and clients and all of these things that seem so silly. And I felt kind of ashamed because I felt like these are simple things that most people do on a regular basis, right? And here I am struggling. And on top of that, you know at that point that part of the path of healing is connecting with others, but you're just trying to figure out how to keep your life together mm-hmm. and your business. Yeah. Having been a performer helped, right? Mm-hmm. Because the show must go on. <laughs> and so you learn how to mm-hmm. be in performance mode. And because I had gone through several other things, I had learned, okay, I fall apart when I leave work. I fall apart on the weekends. And then I like pull myself together. And then I show up in the way that I need to show up for work and for my clients. You know, I come from this philosophy that um, life doesn't happen to you, life happens for you and through you, and that you are a co-creator, either at a super conscious, unconscious, or conscious level of all the things that you're experiencing, and that all of that is in service of your higher growth and your spiritual growth. So connection with others was a mixed bag. So beginning to tell actually friends and and family was a whole other um, journey. Obviously family was challenging. Both of our families loved both of us and there was so much grief there. Um, But what was surprising was telling um, many of our friends and then having the reactions that they had because many of them just started crying 
and were shocked. I had a few of them start crying because they said, your relationship was the model by which I was aspiring to. Mm. And I want, you know, we were working to get our relationship to be as good as your guys' relationship. So it felt like in us making this decision, we were shattering like other people's models of what they viewed as a good relationship. And then I felt like the need to try to comfort them. To take care of them. Right, and to take care of them. And so then all of a sudden, it felt incredibly burdensome to actually share because then it was like, I am barely holding it together. And now I have to take care of even more people that are not even paying me. (laughs) You know? (laughs) I also had friends that were, um, said all the right things, you know, like, I'm sorry you're going through this. You know, I'll be here for you. Let me know, you know. Um, and then I never heard from them. They just sort of vanished. And then I had some amazing angels that just showed up, and I can count them with one hand. I think that one of the things that I learned through this is that in general, we're not very good at sitting with pain mm-hmm. and grief, and we just don't know how to deal with it. And so I kind of learned like how much to share, what to share, you know, how to. And and what I appreciated about the people that were showing up for me is that some of them were great at just holding space and just allowing me to be. Some of them were great at just like being with me and, and reminding me of who I am just as a human being, you know. My father, who... You know, over the years, we've had a very challenging relationship and we had worked, you know, very hard um, at creating a better relationship. He showed up in a really sweet and a really big way, even though he is very uncomfortable with negative emotion and he doesn't really know what to say. And, you know, he was the one that like when I first happened, I was crying. He picked up the phone. He's like, "Okay, I'll get your mom. (laughs) right like he just cannot um but what he did was something that was so beautiful in that he actually texted me every single day and every day he would text me and he'd just be like how are you or i'm thinking about you or i love you or he would send me a picture he like would send me pictures of like purple trees and purple flowers because you know purple's my favorite color So it was just like these little tiny like random things that just were letting me know that he was thinking about me and that like made such a huge difference. Mm -hmm. That's beautiful. Yeah. there's any things you noticed in the people who were there for you like any common commonalities like one thing I was wondering I could imagine that friends or colleagues of yours who've been divorced mm. because I think if you haven't walked certain coals it's hard to know and my guess people who've been through divorce know that a divorce is an amputation it's it's brutal and but I don't know if you noticed any yeah you know it's there. fascinating um because I, 
I cannot draw any um, generalizations. I found that some people that had gone through divorce actually were really challenging because they were just projecting mm. their own experience onto my experience. And so they had a lot of anger and they were like, well, aren't you angry? And I, I didn't have any anger, you know? And so I was constantly confronted by people like telling me or, you know, questioning me about being angry. And I never once was angry. Like that was not something that I was feeling. And so it was challenging because then all of a sudden I was trying to, you know, so I had to separate myself from the people that were not allowing me to have the experience that I had intended to have through this process, right? Like I made a choice that we were going to have a very conscious, um, kind, loving separation, divorce process. And, um, and people were kind of baffled about mm. that. And so, so actually it's the opposite of what I said, what your experience that people, a lot of people who are going through, been through a divorce, it was so hard, rocky, emotional, you know, that they were putting, Oh, it must've been like my divorce. So you weren't allowed to have your experience, but I did have a couple friends that had been divorced that were great. Mm. Mm. Right. So then this is why I said, I cannot make any generalizations because I had some that had been, and they were awesome. And there were some of the best people at holding space and just crying with me and just allowing me to be. And the same thing I can say for married friends, right? Like I had some married friends that I felt like I had leprosy, mm. you know, that I kind of felt like, like they were scared that they were going to catch the disease or something, you know, like it felt that way for me at least. And then I had some married friends that were just so there for me and you know so it's really so i cannot say that it yeah. was like oh you know married or divorced or single i literally had friends that were single married and divorced be part of my angels yeah and then i had people that were you know from those categories just respond differently so yeah. i felt like it was more about just their ability to be empathic and be willing mm -hmm. to sit through the pain and or to remind me of me. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm some, sure something that you deal with a lot in your work and I do in my work is when people are going through something awful, how do they explain or make sense of the people who don't show up? <laughs> and again, that, that happened to you. Uh -huh. Um, that's happened to me. Um, I, I think it happens to everybody. You yeah. go through something really hard. People people are going to show up who surprise you, and some people who don't show up will shock you. And mm -hmm. how did you work through that? Okay, again, because I think you're going when you've been through some really hard. You know, this was your fourth, yeah. arguably really awful thing. You're a psychologist, so you you are a professional at helping people. You know, create. And kind of co-write stories that are stories of healing and and learning and resilience. And then you're put in that position where people you thought would be there for you weren't. Yeah. And I really appreciate you couching it that way because I do feel like having all of that experience and training and philosophy was a huge source of resilience and that for me, I saw this as 
my firewalk, so to speak, an opportunity for me to live what I teach. Part of that is that how you create stories and how you make meaning, right? Is that you don't take a victim stance, right? So for me, it was I was always very aware of the story that I make now, the story that I tell other people, it's what's going to become the truth and my truth. And so I need to be super careful about what are the stories that I'm making about him, about my friends are not showing up, all of that. Mm-hmm. And so for me, I, I sort of just went to the place of the people that are showing up for me are the people that are meant to show up for me. Mm-hmm. And the people that aren't are too, like life is not slowing down for them. Like mm-hmm. I want sli- life to slow down. You know, like this is a major thing that's happening in my life, but it's not happening in their life. They're still managing their own struggles. They're still managing their busy life, their kids, whatever it's going on. And so I cannot expect people to drop their life to come take care of me or rescue me or you know what I mean, Mm -hmm. which is not really what I wanted anyway. But, you know, and so in some ways I felt like, well, like they're doing their thing. Mm-hmm. And so I need to, and in some ways, I think that this has also been a, a theme for me. I've lost many friends through the process. And so um, one of the lessons that I felt early on that this process was, was really about me learning to stand on my own two feet. And so there was a piece of not having that many people show up either that to me felt like this is really about me learning to show up for me in a bigger way that I have done before Mm -hmm. and becoming very good at it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you need, it sounds like you worked hard to create that story that you can hold in your heart of why people didn't show up and um, people struggle with that. I see my patients struggling with that so much and, you know, so often they default to a story of resentment, abandonment. Um, I thought they cared about me. And what I try to help people see is like, hey, people are so wrapped up in their lives. <laughs> or one thing I think that happens a lot is people are, as you said a few minutes ago, a lot of people do not know how to sit with pain. And, and they don't realize that all they need to do is listen. They think, I don't know how to fix that. I don't know how to address that. There's nothing I could do that's going to make that better. Mm-hmm. So I'll just stay away from it yeah a hundred percent that's so true right like the like they want to like can't do the tissue right away and you know and i think that me being a therapist and being able to kind of sense people was very easy to be like okay they're uncomfortable like you know and and it's part of the reason why i shared the the story of my dad you know because i think that even uh, for somebody that just didn't feel and has never felt really comfortable in dealing with emotions that he showed up in the way that that he could and that was super powerful and meaningful you know and so I was I, I often sat and was like I wonder if people could recognize that just sending a quick text would mean the world mm-hmm. you know and I think that people in their minds are thinking like oh like what can I do mm-hmm. that it's actually going to make a difference right you know? or I could see thinking oh if I sent Elena a text that's so lame. I should do something bigger or better than that. That's really pathetic. Yeah. So they don't, so in, instead of doing something small, they do something, they do nothing, which again, I love that story about your dad that 
that's A plus fathering for him. Mm-hmm. I mean, he just for to, sure. Right, just to send out a little something, a little balloon every day. Hey, yeah, I love you. Yeah, yeah. that was huge. I made a very um, important commitment to my self-care. Um, early on, a friend of mine asked me, do you think that you might relapse? You know, and, and she was referring to my eating disorder that I had many, many years ago. And, and my answer was immediate, and it was absolutely not. And I made a commitment that through the process, I was A, not going to touch a drop of alcohol, B, that I was going to make sure that I ate three full meals, even if I wasn't hungry, and that I was going to um, do physical activity that was meaningful to me. So I went back to dance and I, you know, made time to go to dance and do aerial dance and go hiking. And Can you isolate two or three of the key elements for you of healing from this fourth and most recent dark night of the soul? Yeah. Um, self-reflection. So in my meditation, I'm a huge um, meditator. I have a, a meditation practice I have had consistently for six years now. And so my meditation increased. I usually meditate for about 20 minutes each morning. Um, I think I was meditating about an hour each morning before going to work and anything else. And then again at night. And taking time. So it's interesting because you asked about connection, you know, and I believe that the friendships and the connection were a great distraction. And they were really great in reminding me that I am loved. Um, I think it's so important, you know, as a support person, um, like how you show up with people that is not from a place of pity because you already feel broken, right? And so you really need friends that can remind you of your strength and what they see in you. Um, so that you remember that and that you can live into that. And that was really important. Writing and moving and doing art and meditation, mm-hmm. those were kind of like the biggest pieces for me. And there were a lot of solo work. Mm-hmm. And again, you know, I think that there's also a piece that is an intersection with temperament. I am an introvert. And as we know, you know, introverts, when they are struggle, they go inward and I need to process internally before anything comes out. And I felt like that was really important and really needed for me. Mm-hmm. And this is a question that you asked me when we were just barely chatting about, and you know, and I'm going to bring it up um, about why I did so many things that seem solo versus, you know, connecting more with people. And so there is a piece so a higher order piece in terms of recognizing that we delude ourselves into believing that we can control or have certainty about relationships or other people. You know, there's this saying of some people coming to your lives for a reason, for a season or a lifetime. And I often quote it to my clients and, and I, think that we often try to make people lifetime people Mm. and most people are reason or season people Mm. and if we can honor that most people are reason or season people and that it's not 
a reason not to invest, right? Mm -hmm. But that in the end, the closest and most significant relationship that you will have is with yourself, right? That then doing any kind of solo practice builds a sense of ownership and control and predictability that when you, the rug is pulled from underneath you, you really want and crave. And so my meditation practice were like bookends, really providing a lot of grounding and a lot of spiritual support and stillness in allowing me to feel like I'm here for me. Mm. And then I can be here for others. Yeah. I like that season versus lifetime. It reminds me, I think it's an Esther Perel quotation that uh, most of us will have two or three marriages in our lifetime and it may or may not be to the same person. Given this, this idea that even if you stay with the same partner, there's going to be these huge tectonic shifts where actually it's like a different marriage. A hundred percent. Yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. And, um, and it has to do also with our own personal growth, right? Because, so this comes from, uh, conversations with God, um, Neil Walsh or, um, he talks about how we often come into relationships without being very conscious. And we come into relationships because we see something in this other person and we want that. Or we think that that person is going to heal something. And he talks about how we tell each other that we love you I, or I love you. And he said, we should say, I trade you. <laughs> 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 you know, <laughs> but that in the end, really, um, the the true conscious relationship will come from each of us learning to love ourselves fully, to be fully um, realized individual people, and then to be willing to come together to journey together mm-hmm. um, and learn from each other through that process rather than feeling like this person is going to do be your all or, you know, save you or heal you or whatever. Mm -hmm. And what about Elena? I'm wondering, turning the tables, having been through this and the people that you love and care about, they're going to go through awful stuff. Mm -hmm. And you have this powerful insight. You've lived this. Mm -hmm. But I, I mean, I've experienced it as being kind of overwhelming that, you know, at work, I care for a whole bunch of people. And then in my life, I care for a bunch of people. But sometimes mm-hmm. I think so many people are hurting so much. And yeah. sometimes I just get so overwhelmed. Like, should I text so-and-so? Should I call so-and-so? Should I should I be reaching out to so-and-so? Because I know what it's like to suffer alone. And yeah. so it, it can feel so overwhelming because I know there's so many people out there that I care about that might be thinking, hey, Craig's not checked in with me. Does yeah. he not care? And no, it's not. <laughs> so many balls in the air. Um, yeah, and it's difficult because, I mean, I often feel like I have many children. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and then I recognize that for them, I'm just the one person, you mm-hmm. know. And I actually had a conversation with a client about this, you know. And um, 
and it made me question this a little bit about I uh, I care so deeply for each one of my clients and I try to go the extra mile, you know. And sometimes I am able to and other times I am not. And I think that me sharing what was going on in my life was a part of establishing some of that self-care of letting them know like I mm. am going to show up 100% for you when we see each other. And I also am needing to have space to move through the things that I need to move through. Yeah. And so I may not be able to respond to you. And I tell my clients from the beginning, you know, I say, um, if you text me and I'm available, I will reply. But um, I may not reply for many hours. I may not reply for a day. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not because I don't care. It's because most likely I am, you know, serving other people or I'm not in a place where I am actually can show up for you. Mm, that's a good way of putting it. Yeah. I was wondering when I asked you about the factors that helped you heal, I was also imagining your clients because, you know, a few minutes ago you talked about opening up to them and realizing a, they probably felt grateful. They actually wanted to not just support you, but sort of adjust their expectations a little bit. Cause right. You are there, everything. So many of them, and it's just a little bit of a reality check that you're a real person too. And, um, yeah, you're saying, Hey, I'll take care of you. But just so you know, there's some real stuff going on. Yeah. And, and I felt like that was an important piece because in a, in a strange way, I actually kind of felt that from some of my clients and even some of my friends you know, in social media that were a little bit, nobody said this, you know, so again, this is just my own story that I was making up in my head, you know, like just a feeling that they were like, well, you can say those things because your life is charmed. Like, yeah, you can say that life happens for you and through you and that you're like responsible for co-creating blah, 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 because your life is great and you have it all together and, you know, you're happy and everything's good. It's easy for you to say that. And so for me to be able to be willing to be honest and transparent was really about saying like, I am human too. I'm not immune. Like shit happens and real shit happens. The fact that I'm not constantly talking about all the bad stuff, it's because I don't want to continue to recreate and recycle those stories. And so I'm focusing on what it is that I need to learn and how do, you know, what's the lesson that I need to get from this and how can I overcome it so I think that the biggest takeaway I want to leave people with is that Regardless of what happens, you know, that completely tears you up and tears your life or your heart apart or um, where you literally feel like you cannot envision you coming back from that thing, that that's probably the most important and the biggest thing that's going to teach you and give you so much um that if we're willing to actually surrender to the process, because I think that this is part of why we struggle 
I was able to really understand at a experiential level that quote of um, pain is inevitable, Mm -hmm. but suffering is optional. Mm -hmm. It's a very common Buddhist, you know, Mm -hmm. teaching. And I think for a long time I was like, I don't know what that really means. And I feel like I was able to really understand that, you know, there's going to be all kinds of life circumstances that are going to be painful. And that how we choose to go through the experience is what's going to create more suffering or create more healing. And so that the more that we resist the experience, the more pain we have, you know, the more suffering we have. And the more that we're able to get into a place of surrender and recognize that, okay, you know, when, I mean, when he said, I think it's a successful completion of a spiritual contract, I was like, the hell it is, you know, like, (laughs) (laughs) that is the biggest re-scripting ever. Right. Um, But I totally actually believe that because of what I have experienced, how I have experienced myself grow. And I have grown in ways and done things that I wouldn't have done otherwise. And so I feel like sometimes the thing that feels the most painful is the thing that is actually going to liberate you and help you emerge in a new way as a new person and help you become who you are meant to become and teach you the lessons that you are meant to teach. And, um, and so to me, it's, uh, it's almost like being able to lean into and have some, I have a lot of gratitude for the entire process because, and this is not my quote, this I read somewhere, but I really resonated with it, that um, we came here to experience and that whenever we experience severe pain, we're actually touching the edges of life. And I really love that. And so anytime that I was doing ugly crying and I'm just like feeling like totally miserable, you know, I would, I'll remind myself I'm touching the edges of life. I'm touching one of the edges, which means that there's other edges that I could touch, you know, and I, and to wrap it up in terms of, of relationships that in some ways relationships are the playground in which we get to both experience ourselves as who we are and we get to learn our greatest lessons, Mm. which is why we need to continue to be open and vulnerable and willing to engage in relationships no matter how many times your heart has been broken. I learned some important things from Elena through her story, that the deeper the interpersonal wound the more crucial that healing includes some type of personal growth work, a shoring up of the self's resilience, an increased sense of safety and completeness, even in the absence of others. Elena reminded me that not only are life's biggest tests often the most totally unexpected, but that the fact of this actually can free us from needless worry, because we really have no idea what's coming And isn't that such a deep relief? I've spoken before on the show about how I used to spend endless hours worrying about who would be my next suicide. And then, 
Finally, when I came to realize that there was no rhyme or reason to the patients I lost, no meaningful patterns at all, this realization actually freed me from the agonizing cycle of endless dread. And finally, Elena reminded me that a core psychological task for all of us is to learn how to separate the pain from the suffering. Suffering is fueled by the conscious or unconscious story that we're all telling ourselves about the why behind the pain. But by crafting a story of learning and growth that we can hold both in our heads and our hearts, we can greatly dial down the suffering and start to move forward with some peace and even with some gratitude toward the next inevitable dark night of the soul. <laughs>